Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your guest co-host, UFC vet, Damian Beatdown Brown. Today we're going to be talking about UFC 293, Israel Adesanya versus Sean Strickland for the undisputed UFC middleweight title. And Damien, it's going down this Saturday night for us, morning for y'all at the Kudos Bank Arena in Sydney, New South Wales, Australia. You got one of the most dominant middleweight champions in the history of the sport, the two-time champion Israel Adesanya in a grudge match against the very outspoken Sean Strickland. And I know for a fact, Damien, that Israel Adesanya is getting up for this one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's definitely, um, you know, it's, it's funny. He is so dominant that he's at, he's at the point in his career now where pretty much he can call for a fight and it's going to happen. I mean, we've seen it with, uh, with Driscus. Uh, I mean, he had to beat Whitaker, but he probably doesn't get the Whitaker fight without Adesanya, um, you know, making the storyline what it was. So um, I'm excited for that fight. I'm actually going down to the fights. So it should be pretty good. Well, let's get right down to business because in the main event, we got Israel Adesanya. He's 24 and two taking on Sean Strickland, who's 27 and five. And currently the odds got it. Israel Adesanya minus 650. The comeback on Sean Strickland is plus 475. So obviously, you know, it's no brainer that Izzy is a sizable favorite in this spot. And, and rightfully so, in my in my opinion, Damien, because, listen, you got to give Sean Strickland a lot of credit. I know that, you know, he might say some stuff that's kind of out there, but the guy's been in the UFC a long time. The guy's been paying his dues uh, throughout two weight classes, no less. And he's got a style that gives a lot of people problems. Here's my issue with it. So, as you know, you know, it's more boxing for MMA. Uh, but the thing... The thing that I think is going to give him issues is that he walks in a straight line. He backs up in a straight line. He doesn't cut off the cage the proper way to, you know, kind of pin Izzy in a corner, kind of like Alex Pereira did. And honestly, both the fights, I thought Alex was looking great. The second fight as well. And man, Izzy's composure, he, he landed the knockout of the year, in my opinion. Another thing, Sean is very heavy on his legs. Back to the boxing talk. I think the leg kicks are going to be there all day. And one more thing, Sean's got this interesting parrying style where, you know, he might block the first, the first two, the first three, but then he tends to back up. His chin tends to elevate. That's where he drops his hand, his hands. And if Izzy's throwing in big, in big combinations, that's where I think the fourth, fifth and sixth strikes are going to get to, to Strickland. So honestly, I, I think Izzy, has him covered in all areas. And I know a lot of people are bringing up, well, what if Sean wrestles? And it's like, I think that's such a broad question. This is a 25-minute fight. There's five rounds. So when you say, what if Sean wrestles, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean, does he land a takedown in one round? Does that mean he's going to embrace the grind for 25 minutes straight, which would be completely uncharacteristic of his style? I mean, maybe a takedown or two, but let's not act like Izzy some novice on the mat. So my only concern is that when I'm this, you know, sure about something and when I count someone out to this extent, it brings me back to memories of, you know, Henan Burrell versus TJ Dillashaw, where I, I thought I thought there was literally no there was a snowflakes chance in hell, like y'all like to say down under that uh, TJ was going to win that fight. 
uh, Joanna versus, versus Rose Namajunas. I was like, are you kidding me right now? So I, I really am counting out Sean Strickland, and that's what worries me the most. Yeah, look, it's it's definitely um, the thing with Strickland that I find the most interesting is that he appears on the surface to have a style that's very beatable. So he has a 27 and five record, which I got to be honest, I only really realized yesterday. I uh, seen it and thought to myself, that guy's got a way better record than I thought he had. Um, you know, he's been around for a long time, as you say, um, and, he, and he does just walk people down. Like he just literally just walks straight in um, and, he, and he just does his parry and jab and he, and he has like a real up, like a real upright type style um, with his with his posture, and I find it like on the surface, it's it's very beatable. Like I don't understand like how he fights like that and wins as many fights as he does. But you know he's got that dog in him, and um, he's happy to put himself. You know it's probably a little bit of that whole. Uh, you know he's happy to put himself in the fray. You know what I mean? And and he, and he always like I I listened to one of his podcasts recently, and he's like. He's just, he'll just get amongst it. He doesn't care. He just gets in there. And so I think that's what makes him dangerous is that he, if you don't knock him out, he is willing to lose on volume. Um, so just to land that good shot. So if, if Izzy's like, he's cutting his angles and he's bobbing and he's weaving and he's landing these shots and he's chopping the legs, Strickland's still going to be in his face. Um, in saying that, uh, so, so I agree with you. He's, he probably deserves to be a massive underdog. He probably also didn't really, um, you know, fight anyone that we suspected was going to put him in line for the title shot. So it was a little bit like uh, 293 needed a contender and Izzy needed a contender and there was a storyline to sell and Sean Strickland's happy to pay, play whichever role that they give him. Um, and so it's, it's worked out really well for the UFC. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't really know how Adesanya's going to lose this. I mean, Sean Strickland is a a slow twitch kind of guy. You know, he's not he's not your explosive um, shoot your double leg from two meters away type wrestler. So, you know, we, we've seen Brunson couldn't take Adesanya down. It's like these guys who who are fast twitch who can hit the timing of a of a blast double leg or something like that. They they are. They got a better chance of taking Adesanya down, and so I, I just don't see how. Even if he did choose to wrestle, I just don't see how that's gonna um, be an effective game plan. I honestly think his best game plan is to make it a dirty fight to get in his face and uh, may, maybe risk getting knocked out. But then, like, that's essentially like saying Sean Strickland has a puncher's chance. So, um, I I personally just think that uh, we'll see. Izzy set him up off the parry because I think he parries too heavy. Um, and whether it's the, the the left hook or the right hand won't really matter. Um, he'll pop it out. He'll parry a couple of them and then he'll just loop one over the top. And not like an overhand, but Izzy throws a real nice, um, a real nice straight right. And then he also throws a real nice like overhand right that just rolls behind the punch. So you've only got to parry it a little bit too much and uh, and he'll slot one of those on your chin. So I um I don't I, I agree with you. I don't see how Strickland wins this fight at all. But um 
one thing I know for sure is that he'll he'll make it exciting whether he wins or loses. So uh, I definitely predict that um, Adesanya will get it done. Um, I'd go as far as saying he gets it done in two. Yeah, and you make a lot of great points. And whether it's the punches, I think also chop him down with the kicks, eventually go upstairs with a high kick. I think that there's a possibility of that. You made a great point. We both did about the parrying game of Sean Strickland. Sometimes he over parries. That's where Izzy can have a big opportunity as well, a big opening. But I got to give Sean Strickland credit because I don't want it to sound like, you know, this guy is undeserving or whatever the case may be. He's put up the kind of numbers that we like, 186 significant strikes against Uriah Hall, 153 against Jack Hermanson, 152 against Jared Cannonier, 182 against Nasruddin Imavov. So this guy is an output machine. The issue, Damien, is when guys kind of sit back and don't really go after Izzy, that's when, you know, Izzy gets criticized for those boring fights. You know, the Yoel Romero's, the Jared Cannoneers, who were very, very good fighters. Um, it's just that when guys really go after Izzy, that's when you see the violence come out because Izzy is a counter striker. Look at the first Rob Whitaker fight. Look at even towards the end of the Kelvin Gastelum fight, which happened in Atlanta. I mean, Izzy was really... I mean, I thought it could have been stopped in that fifth round. There's been other examples as well, that second Pereira fight. Now, while I think that the success Pereira had in that fight is kind of being overshadowed by the knockout, which I consider to be the knockout of the year, Pereira was doing pretty damn good in that second fight as well, but he got a little bit over-aggressive, and sometimes that's all it takes against someone like Izzy. Just leave him that one opening, and I think Sean Strickland is going to leave him that one opening. So for that reason... I mean, I, I do, you know, it doesn't take a genius to pick a minus 700 favorite, but um, there, I mean, he might even should be minus a thousand in this spot, but we'll see. Whenever I talk in these terms, that's usually when these crazy upsets happen. So you can't ever count anyone out. There's still a reason we're going to tune in, but at the end of the day, I think it's and still, and I think Drickus is the guy that might be the real challenge. Yeah. See, I, I don't, I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't. I don't think that Drickus, um was going to beat Adesanya. I just, uh, I think that the attributes that helped him, and, and, and the game plan that helped him beat Whitaker, a little different. With adesanya has got that height, the reach, the size, and then you couple it in with the striking, the distance management, the angles. I mean, he doesn't let people get close enough to him to wrestle. Um, and I just don't think that big long southpaw jab is going to work against a guy that can stand both stances. I wouldn't be surprised if Izzy fights Driscus in southpaw. Good, good point. Good point. He is, you know, he comes out of a different stance for different opponents, always switching. So that's a great point. Co-main event of the evening in the heavyweight division. We got Ty Tuivasa. Western Sydney's own. He's 15 and 5, taking on Alexander Volkov, who's 36 and 10. Currently, they got it. Alexander Volkov minus 250. The comeback on Tai Tuivasa is plus 210. I mean, we know Tai Tuivasa is down the bang with anybody. Kind of brings that old school Mark Hunt style to the table. Kind of shorter for the weight class. Big leg kicks. Big leaping left hooks. When he breaks off the clinch, he's got nasty elbows. And he's going to need to close the distance, as you know, because Alexander Volkov is one of the not just tallest guys in the weight class, but tallest guys in the UFC. And I think for Alexander Volkov, he's going to, I think that, you know, 
I don't necessarily think that either guy is going to, you know, look to implement a, gra a grappling heavy game plan. But if one of them does, I think it would be Volkov here. But I think Volkov, those teeps down the middle are going to be big weapons, as you saw in the Gon fight. But credit to Tuivasa, only man in the UFC to drop Gon. Francis Ngannou did not drop Gon. Tai Tuivasa did. You cannot count this man out. Another interesting tidbit, uh, Tai Tuivasa, last few camps, he did them in Abu Dhabi. Now he's back um in australia so he's feeling at home again and volkov actually didn't do this one in russia he moved over to vegas and did all his uh, strength and conditioning over there so just a couple things to throw out there how you kind of see this one going down man it's it's definitely an interesting fight um i actually like it for tui vasa i think that um i think that it, it's sort of for for a tall guy rangy striker i actually think it's it's not a bad fight for tui vasa um, he obviously had, you know, a reasonably bad run of late, but he looked good in that Garn fight. I thought that he looked great. You know, he had his moments. Um, he, he obviously wasn't winning the fight, but he had his moments. I, I thought that he looked pretty good. We're talking about a guy who's a good striker, but light on his feet at heavyweight. Moves like a welterweight, essentially. Um, Volkov's not going to be like that. I think Volkov's going to be a little bit um like a little bit heavier on his feet he's gonna he's gonna walk him down and whatnot but i think he's gonna be right there for those heavy leg kicks um i honestly think that Tuivasa, if he implemented a heavy leg kick game plan you know um i was trying to think off the top of my head someone someone who's like uh had a heavy heavy leg kick game plan in the past like a lighter weight class you know what i mean like just pop a jab out bam yeah. leg kick Vicente Luque against Randy Brown's a perfect example. Exactly. So, if if uh, if Tui Vasa was to implement that type of game plan at heavyweight, I think he beats almost anyone. Um, he is a shorter guy for the weight class. Um, doesn't lack any power at all. So, if he could just chop him down a little bit, those calf kicks at heavyweight would be would be a beauty. Um, to be honest, the way he throws his leg kicks, I don't think he cares where they land. He throws. He throws them from uh from another world when they come in, but um, but yeah, he uh, I, I think a game plan like that, just pop the jab out, stay at kicking range, chop the leg down, you know, chop the tree down as they say, and um, and then one of those big left hooks or right hands will open up for him when Volkov uh, lacks the movement. Um, but I think that's probably probably the best plan for him fighting anyone that tall. Um, but. We've seen uh, Mark Hunt and Stefan Struve, so maybe he can bob and weave and let that left hook go. Who knows? Um, but Struve, I think, uh, sorry, um, Volkov will just, um, you know, I think he'll look to basically, kind of like he did with Derek Lewis, he, he would just look to uh, to pop everything off and stay at a safe range and, and just keep out working him. Um, I don't think he'll put himself in any kind of danger that's going to put him in a position to get knocked out, but I do think that there'll be opportunities for Tui Vasa. So, look, I think his best chance is a, late, a heavy leg kick plan to slow him down and then look look for a home for the hands later on. Um, and I think that Volkov's just going to Volkov. He's just going to work work on the volume. And if he gets the decision, he gets the decision. If not, he'll knock him out in between. So I don't think we see this fight go to the ground at all. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see Tuivasa win. Who doesn't love it when he jumps on the top of the cage and does a shoey, you know, from some random shoe in the crowd, no less. So, you know, I'd love to see Tuivasa win. As a pure pick, I'm going to go on the opposite side and take Volkov. Uh, just like you said, more volume, 
um, more ways to win, but it's not a confident pick. I'm not putting my money on it, and I'm rooting for Tui Vasa. Uh, so hopefully he can get it done, but official pick, uh, no money on the line, is Volkov for me. Now, featured bout in the flyweight division, we got Manel Cap. He's 18-6, and six, taking on Felipe Dos Santos, who's 7-0. and oh. And currently, they got it. Manel Cap minus 385. The comeback on Felipe Dos Santos is plus 320. So this is my first bet of the night. I took Manel Cap actually at minus 340 a few days ago. And, and here's why. Firstly, I got to give a lot of respect to Felipe Dos Santos. Like to not only take your UFC debut across the world on short notice, but to take it against the guy who is probably pretty damn close to fighting for a world title, no less. I mean, hats off. And I like everything about those Santos. I think one day he is going to be someone to look out for. I mean, the kid's 22 years old, trains out of shoot to box. He's ultra aggressive. He goes for it. He gets right in your face, nonstop volume. He can mix in takedowns as well. Spins, knees, punches, and bunches. I like everything about this kid. And I think one day, like I said, he is going to have some highlight reel finishes and he is going to be someone to look out for. It's just that, remember when Manel Cap first came into the UFC similar situation he had to fight the top echelon off the bat the Pantojas the Nikolaus etc etc but Manel Cap had already had a long career in Risen prior to that he was already a seasoned vet and when he got to the UFC the fights that he lost wasn't a matter of oh he needs to work on his takedown defense or oh he was getting dropped by jabs it, no it was basically Manel Cap is such a confident guy that he thinks he's ahead on the scorecards at all times that sometimes he lays back and enjoys his work a little bit and those are easily fixable mistakes in the gym and as you saw in his subsequent fights he's been going after guys a little bit more now and with felipe dos santos back to the shooter box uh, talk he stands straight up in the air just like all the shooter box guys walks forward which you love to see as fans but i think the openings upstairs and more importantly to the body are going to be there all day i think if manel even wants to mix in takedowns he can do that too and when people ask me you know why would you lay minus 340 straight well the answer is pretty simple for me i mean minus 340 implies that he's less than 80 percent to win and i lined him 83 to 88 percent. so basically i think he should be minus 500 to minus 750 in this spot so i didn't have an issue laying the minus 340 straight and again i'm not telling anyone else how to bet that's just how i bet it personally so i know most more people are going to want to put him in parlays and you know there are a lot of favorites on this card so i get it i just felt like this one for me i just still felt like the line was off I still think the line is off, despite how much I respect Dos Santos. I think it's going to be a body shot KO. Um, and I think Manel is going to win this fight. We're going to see some great things from Dos Santos down the line. But I, I think it's Manel's time right now. And I think he's on the, you know, the road to a title shot. Yeah, I, I got to agree with you there. I don't know um, a lot myself about Dos Santos, but what what you do know, if you've been in this game long enough, is anyone that's from shooter box and then, has an undefeated record and has, you know has a all that flamboyancy about them with the with the spinning stuff and whatnot. I mean they're dangerous. They're always going to be dangerous. Um, and and let's be honest, there's no reason, you know, there's there's no like uh, in MMA anyone that's seven and zero um, or undefeated, you know, past their first half a dozen fights, they're dangerous, man. You know, like they're they're not to be they're not to be uh, you know dismissed and. Uh, he was going to be on the contender series, I believe, um, before he got his opportunity. So, you know, if he was put on there, he was put on there because he was going to be a prospect. And uh, 
their intent would have been to build him up had he have won a contract from that. So, um, you know, he, he's probably he, he's probably jumped into this fight, you know, on the back of the fact that it's an opportunity. But the reality is he's probably going to find himself here down the track anyway. So, look, you know, you can't count him out. But I'm, I've known Manel now. I fought on some of the same rising cards as him. And, um, you know, he, he's he's a, he's an interesting guy. He's He's always super confident. Um, and if you're in his presence, he gives off that. So, so the fact that he was enjoying his work in his in his um, last loss is not surprising, and shouldn't be to anyone that's that's uh, you know been in his presence. The guy just gives off that kind of vibe. Um, but yeah, he he's distance. He's in and out. Um, you know, he's an explosive guy, but he doesn't throw anything uh, recklessly. So he, he's the kind of guy that will jump and throw your jumping knees and your flying knees and stuff like that. And uh, and it's fast. You know, it's not labored. Um, but he doesn't do it that often. Uh, so I don't think he throws anything recklessly. He's very calculated. Um, and he has a good opportunity to win any fight that he's in, uh, in my opinion. he He's probably up until being the champion um, or contending for it. He, he's probably in a position to be the favorite in every fight. So... Um, I think you're right with this one. I think Manel Cape will get it done. Um, I wouldn't necessarily predict a stoppage, um, but but I think you'll find a way to get it done. He he seems a little bit ahead of everyone at the moment, and um, you know I think he'll be fighting for the belt next. So I'm gonna go in a little bit of a weird order because I know you're short on time. Firstly, shout out to Damien. It's fucking 5:20 a.m where he's at right now so you're the man for waking up early for this um but i want to talk about the shane young fight because you've fought shane young you beat shane young you went five rounds with shane young so let's talk about this fight so in the featherweight division we got shane young he's 13 and 7 taking on gabrielle miranda who's 16 and 6 currently they got it shane young minus 170 the comeback on miranda is plus 145 you know you're going to explain what shane young does because you know him very well but gabriel miranda in case you don't know he's kind of like a, a guillotine or bus kind of guy he's kind of you know he'll hit some nice outside trip takedowns he'll throw some punches and bunches but when the going gets tough he does tend to wilt he's got 15 wins by submission but every time a fight's gone to decision he's never won he's zero and four on decisions but he's a very dangerous submission artist in the early going it's just if you can extend this guy and make him work work that's where he tends to will so t tell us about your experience fighting shane young and what you think about this matchup and based on what you just said uh I, I would confidently say if he doesn't submit shane young uh in the first round then there's absolutely no chance of him winning. Um, and, I, and I say that because uh, Shane Young has got one hell of a chin on him. Um, we did fight. We, we fought three rounds um, for a belt. And uh, I broke my hand in the first round. Um, and, I mean, the guy going into it, um, someone said to me, look, that, that you know, he's going to throw so much volume. Um Basically, you, you, you just got to land the, the bigger, harder, more damaging shots because um, he's going to hit you no matter what. And and we've seen that in the UFC. His style of like the way he pops these shots out, they're, they're not hard. He's not popping out hard shots. He's just going to throw like three or 400 punches. And so um, he can hold that pace for like three straight rounds. And, and he, do, it doesn't, he doesn't seem to get too tired. I mean, he naturally gets tired because of the volume, but 
he doesn't get fatigued. Um, and so, look, if he doesn't find a way to get him to the mat and submit him, I, I just don't see him out punching him. Um, and the, the thing with Shane Young is he causes heaps of damage. So uh, when we fought, um, I think he got like five lots of stitches or something like that. Like he, he just he just keeps touching you, touching you, touching you, touching you, and he's he's got a good um, ability of hitting you just hard enough to not overcommit, uh, but hard enough to to cause heaps of damage. You know, you finish your fight with your eyes closed up or plenty of cuts or whatnot. So look, obviously UFC. Um, is it is a different level? We fought on the local circuit before I was even in the UFC, so um, you know things are a little different. But I think Shane Young's style is is very um, very much never changed. Uh, he's always going to walk forward. He hides his his distance management, so he shuffles his feet in behind his punches, um, and every now and then he puts a little extra uh, pop on some of those punches. So um, look, I, I think if he doesn't knock him out, he'll win by decision for sure. Yeah, um, you know, in 20 pro fights, Shane Young's only been stopped once and it was via head kick. So, I mean, you can't, you know, fault the guy. A shin to the chin is going to put anyone out. Um, but the thing about Shane Young, you know, I've bet against him in a lot of fights, but those are against guys that can go three rounds hard, that can consistently put up the output. And because Shane Young, you know, for all that we give him credit for in terms of the cardio, his toughness, his durability, you know, when you talk about toughness and durability, that means that a guy gets hit a lot. So he does get hit a lot. My issue with Miranda, you know, initially I was like, oh, it's it's dog money against Shane Young. But then I watched Miranda and Miranda wilts as fights, you know, go down the stretch. And look, if he can be the first man in MMA history to submit Shane Young, then all credit to him because uh, that would be a big feather in his cap. No one's done it before. Listen to this. When Shane Young made his UFC debut against Alexander Volkanovsky, no less, I bet the under two and a half rounds thinking, oh, Volk's going to fucking do whatever he wants. Shane Young survives all three rounds with Volk. So you got to give this guy a lot of credit for his durability, man. So uh, I think the first round is going to be, you know, kind of a sweat. But if Shane Young can get past it, that's where I think he's going to start to take over in the second and the third round. So, Damien, between Carlos Olberg, Carlos Olberg, Tyson Pedro, and Jack Jenkins, who do you have the most, you know, insight on and who do you have the strongest opinion on? Which fight of those? Well, interesting fact, Tyson Pedro cornered me at UFC 201. Um, so, so, you want to talk about that one? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, he, um, look, I, I could talk about all of them, but I'm going to run out of time. But, um, look, I, I think, um, you know, Tyson... Tyson, uh, I, I think since he's come back from his knee injuries, he um, he's been a different a different fighter. He's training out of CKB now. Um, he wasn't before, and we've seen that in his style. Um, he's a long, rangy, light heavyweight. He's he's not short on range, that's for sure. Um, and he's has a jujitsu black belt. I mean, the the guy's phenomenal on the ground. Um, we've seen that. He's got a couple of couple of subs. He's at least got one sub subbed. Uh, in Perth with that Kimura. Uh, from standing, set up set up the Kimura and hit the sweep. Um, you know, he, he's he's a phenomenal black belt. I've trained with him a lot. Um, trained with him for a few years. And uh, and again, he, he traveled and cornered me at 201. And uh, my, my coaches weren't available. And, I, and he wasn't even training with me at the time. We, we're just mates. So I just asked him if he would come. And 
it was an absolute honor for me. So he, um, you know, to watch his success and his return from injury um, and the way that he's building himself back up, he, he's definitely gone from the guy before that was a young guy, you know, he was, he was fighting and he was trying to be smart and he was doing all the right things and he got the good opportunities. Now I think he's, he's got, you know, just a different team around him. And, uh, and, and I think there's just a little bit more consistency outside of camps now for him. Um, whereas, you know, before that, they always put a good camp together. Um, and then I'm not like he was living in Sydney, so I'm not really sure they're doing outside of camps, but at least through social media right now, it appears that outside of camps, he has some consistency. Um, you know, I know he's doing his podcast. He's got the boys over at CKB. They're having a whole lot of fun together. So, yeah, I just think that, um, you know, I just think that that, that all-year-round consistency and training that he has now is definitely uh, is definitely paying dividends. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd expect to, to see him get a finish in this fight for sure. Any comments on Olberg or Jenkins before I let you go? Um, I, I'm not too familiar with their opponents. I didn't do enough research. But, um, but look, the Black Jag... I mean, he he can he can put people away with one shot. We've seen that. I think some of those shots that he lands, they they don't even look like they're meant to knock someone out. So um, the guy's obviously got power that you can only feel and not see. Um, Jenkins, he's a technician, um, and you know he'll he'll break people down. That's how he fights. That's how he fought on the local circuit. That's how he'll fight. You know, at an international level and. Um, and yeah, so I'd expect him to try to uh, attack with the leg kicks and then see what happens from there. So, Damien, I posted all your links in the description. You got your YouTube channel, your, your Twitter, your Instagram. Anything you want to plug before you get out of here? Yeah, I, I'd love to, uh, to to get a reach out there for Beatdown Promotions YouTube channel. So um, if people could jump on there and subscribe and catch our next event, which is on September 16, that would be awesome. Where do, where do they go to find it? uh beatdown promotions so just uh you can you can go to the link in my bio or you can jump on youtube and just search beatdown promotions it'll come up we've had four events our fifth event is on september 16. um we fly internationals in every time so uh, we've got janae harding's headlining our next event um on september 16. so she's straight off the back of bellator and uh into a main event for us so jump on youtube and, and uh and subscribe and, and watch our next event um it's probably not at the best time for you guys, but we love the uh, we love the support. That's for sure. Um, and uh, I'll make the prediction that no one from CKB will lose on this next card. Damien, I appreciate your time, man. The fans can follow you at Btown One Fifty Five and uh, go teach a, a kick ass class at five thirty a.m. where you're at right now. Thanks for waking up early for me. No worries, man. Thanks, I appreciate it. You got it, buddy. Talk soon. All right, so that's Damian Beatdown Brown. And as you all know, now we're going to break down the rest of the card, not leave anything out, but I just had to get that insight on the Aussie fighters from the man himself. You know, uh, Damian and I go way back. He actually got his first UFC win in Atlanta at UFC 201 when he knocked out Cesar Arzamendia in the first round. So, man, uh, just big respect to Damian Beatdown Brown, not just a UFC vet, not just a rising vet, also an Army vet, jiu-jitsu black belt, father. Um, I can't say enough good things about uh, about Damian Beatdown Brown. So, you know, we're grateful for his time. And, uh, yeah, make sure you all follow him. Um, I got his personal info 
in the description and then he plugged his uh his promotion beatdown promotion so yeah definitely check that out all right next up in the heavyweight division we got justin taffa he's six and three taking on austin lane who's 12 and three currently they got it justin taffa minus 200 the comeback on austin lane's plus 170 so i've already broke this fight down because they fought once and i'm going to actually link my original breakdown here where i put the timestamps. and for all you timestamps weirdos like i usually post timestamps like 24 hours after the stream i got guys like five minutes after i get off the stream crying that i don't i don't have timestamps yet like let me let me relax let me take a sip of something like let me like call a friend like let me like you know <laughs> like let me breathe right but um i already linked uh my original breakdown for this fight i did pick taffa but i called it a dogger pass situation originally here's the interesting here's the interesting uh part about it man it's that you know the first time they were on austin's turf austin was from jacksonville he played on the jacksonville jaguars justin taffa had to make the flight unfortunate how it ended with the eye poke but now Austin's the guy that's got to make the flight. He's the one that's going to experience the jet lag. And now he's on Justin Taffa's home turf. Um, again, I'm going to pick Justin Taffa. I think it's Dogger Pass, though. And my full breakdown, the link, I already posted it. So if y'all want to hear that later, I mean, my breakdown hasn't changed. I think the dynamic of this fight is uh, exactly the same. And I agree with you, uh, Shady Beach, man. I mean, fuck him. Make him watch the whole show. For real, make him watch the whole show, man. You know, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, but at the same time, I'm a man of the people, and if they want timestamps, I'll fucking give it to them. Just don't be goddamn annoying about it. You know what I'm saying? So, okay, kicking off the main card in the 205 pound division, we got Tyson Pedro. He's nine and four, taking on Anton Turkali, the pleasure man, who's eight and two. Currently, they got it. So this line's been fluctuating a lot, but currently they got it. It just really depends where you look. I see in one book, Tyson Pedro, a slight favorite. I see in another book, uh, Anton, a slight favorite. But, but bottom line, it's a pick em with a slight lean on either side, depending which book you get on. Um, And I see a ton of love for the Pleasure Man this week. I think the Pleasure Man, I think his nickname is probably the funnest part about this guy because his fighting style is ugly as hell to watch but he's one of these guys kind of reminds me like reese mckee but more of like a grappling version of reese mckee and what i mean by that is i mean look the guy's a punching bag the guy's not athletic but like the guy can take an ass whooping and if you gas out from whooping on this guy and he's still there he will put it on guys like that's like what he's really good at like y'all remember that reese mckee versus angelusa fight last week angelusa was fucking destroying reese mckee but Angelusa gassed out from whooping on Reese McKee. And in that third round, Reese McKee gave some people a scare. Had that been a five-round fight, you never know how it would have gone down. And although uh Turkali, you know, it's more of in the striking, in the striking, excuse me, it's more of in the grappling. He's kind of like a backpacker type ordeal. He's got the same thing going on. He just can take an ass whooping. You can hit this guy with a baseball bat. And if he's still there and you're and you start to fatigue from the sole fact that you've been whooping this guy's ass like why can't i get him out of there it's very discouraging that's where he can kind of come back in the later rounds and take over and with tyson pedro we've seen that you know he's a great hammer but he's not the best nail now that last fight you know some interesting tidbits and i don't know how much stock to put into it but look he said that 
He was super sick for that last fight against Modestus. He said he did everybody a favor by just showing up. But I know he was a big favorite. People parlayed him. They lost money. So, you know, that pissed a lot of people off. But at, at the same time, you know, I think that now the kid's got a chip on his shoulder. Allegedly, you know, talk is cheap, but allegedly he's in the best shape of his life and he's showing up for this one. Now, granted, the facts say he's never won a, a fight that's gone past the first round. But I could also see a scenario where Tyson wins you know, the first seven and a half minutes, you know, he clearly wins the first round. Second round is 50-50. And then Turkali really takes over in that third round. And, and Tyson wins a, a decision. You know, I could see that. Uh, I could also see, you know, a late finish for Turkali. But I'm going to go against everybody here. Everybody is so overly confident on Turkali. I've just never been impressed with the dude. I, I'm impressed with his heart. I'm impressed with his mind. But I'm not impressed with the physical attributes, the, the athleticism, or the skills. I'm really not. I think Tyson Pedro is far more skilled. It's just Turkali might be a little bit tougher. That That's the kind of... Thing. So I see it being a sweaty fight at times should it, you know, get extended, but I'm going to pick Tyson Pedro to win this fight. And I think Tyson Pedro would have been a bigger favorite had, um, you know, that last fight with Modesta is not, you know, not taking place. But it's like, at what point do we stop giving Tyson Pedro chances? Because he has been known to drop the ball in big opportunities. Oh, Vince Shogun. And he did good early in those fights as well. So it's a recurring theme, but Hopefully with this new camp switch up, like Damien was talking about, you know, the guys at city kickboxing, he's surrounded by the right people. And like I said, he's got a chip on his shoulder. He's, he's pissed off. He's embarrassed. Hopefully he comes out here and puts on a good showing. Cause this is a beatable opponent, but uh, I'm not going to lay it. Cause I know he's never burned me. I've never been on Tyson Pedro before. Um, in fact, I even picked Shogun against them, but I might've, I might've even picked OSP too. I don't remember. It's been so long, but um, I've just never been a, a pleasure man guy. I think the guy has a, a cooler nickname than he has got fighting skills as far as I'm concerned. But again, you can't write, you can't discount the possibility of him taking over late. All right. Next up in the 205 pound division, we got Carlos Olberg is eight and one taking on Da Un Jung, who's 15, four and one. Currently they got it. Carlos Olberg minus 260. The comeback on Daun Jung is plus 220. This is an interesting fight because it just seems like, oh, yeah, Carlos Olberg should just run through this guy. But when you kind of look at the, the stylistics, how they match up, what's interesting about it is they're both counter strikers. So <laughs> usually, like these guys that Carlos has been sleeping early, like Ihor or like uh, Nikolai Nagumariana, right? They've all been going right after. Olberg, right? And, and and the thing about it is Daun Jung doesn't really go after people. He's a counter guy too. Like, so you know, you kind of watch that fight. I know the I know the the Devin Clark fight kind of soured people's opinion of Daun Jung, and, and rightfully so. Not just that, the Sam, Sam Alvey fight too. Um, but the 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 reason why I'm not gonna put stock into the Devin Clark fight for this matchup particularly is because like, well, you think uh, Carlos Oberg is going to come and hump someone, you know, hump someone against the cage for, you know, three straight rounds. I don't think so. Carlos Oberg doesn't fight like that. Carlos Oberg is a counter striker, a very good one. He's got a nasty check left hook, big kicks. The thing is, the reason why, you know, I mean, look, I'm still picking Oberg, but the reason why. You know, I'm not as confident as I was against fucking Ihor Poteria. And I even bet Carlos Olberg at, I think, minus 
was it plus 110? Was it minus 120? I don't remember. Against Nikolai, it's because these guys are going to go right after him, right? Whereas Dawoon Jung is kind of going to sit back a little bit. They're going to counter-strike. And back to that Jacoby example, the Jacoby and Dawoon Jung fight was kind of tit-for-tat early in the early going. It was kind of even until Jacoby kind of said, finally said, fuck it. He found the range, and he was able to get to Dawoon Jung first. But up until that point, I thought it was a pretty damn competitive fight. Um, and then people holding the Kennedy and Zetchuku fight against Carlos Olberg. I, I, I'm not one of those people. I, I like to consider that a debut stunt. You know, <laughs> when you look at the numbers, I think that Carlos Olberg was so fucking cocky in there. Like he goes in there against Kennedy and Zetchuku, and check this out. In, in round one, you know, he lands. He he throws 120 strikes, lands 83 of them. He's completely teeing off on the guy. And I think he just blew his load a little bit. You know, he thought it was easy work. You know, he had never tasted defeat before in MMA. He thought he thought it was this big joke. And he had to learn the hard way, you know. Um, but since that point, he's been a lot more measured. But look, back to my example of, you know, this kind of of Carlos being a counter guy. When he fought Fabio Chiron, look, he's miles ahead of Fabio Chiron. And I even bet Carlos Olberg minus 200 in that spot. But the reason that, and don't get me wrong, he's still like triple or quadrupled him up on strikes. I, I'm not even you know, downplaying the performance. But the reason why it went all three rounds and it wasn't that highlight real knockout that you'd think, you know, Carlos Olberg, you know, is fully capable of is because Fabio Charant didn't go for it. Olberg is a counter striker. So if Daun Jung doesn't go for it either, and they're both kind of waiting for each guy to make that move so they can counter, you might see a bit of staring in this fight. So that's why um, I have a little bit of pause, but you know, the momentum behind Olberg fighting where he's fighting, um, Probably his confidence has to be way above Daun right now. It's just, again, Daun is not Ihor Potreria. Daun is not Nikolai Negumariano. Daun is not Fabio Charant. Daun is way better than these guys. And prior to that Devin Clark fight, Daun was a promising prospect in, in the weight class. So I actually do think this is a step up in competition for Olberg. And back to the, the dynamics of the, of the style matchup, they're both counter strikers. So like I said, don't be surprised if they're kind of circling a little bit, a lot of faints, you know, one leg kick, then another leg kick, not too much action, but eventually someone's going to have to say, fuck it. And, and that's when, you know, someone could potentially hit the deck. You know, like I said, that counter check hook of Olberg is so nasty when Nikolai charged him recklessly. So Olberg hits him with a jab. He takes a slight step back and then he counters him with a nasty check left hook face plants him. So, if Daun goes for broke here, then I definitely think he's getting knocked out. But if they're both very, you know, counter reliant here, there could be some moments of inactivity and some moments of the two staring at each other. Just saying. But at the end of the day, I'm still going to pick Olberg. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I, I just kind of want to sit back and watch that fight. Now, next up in the featherweight division. We got Jack Jenkins. He's 12 and 2, taking on Jose Chepe Mariscal, who's 14 and 6. Currently, they got it. Uh, Jack Jenkins minus 200. The comeback on Jose Mariscal is plus 170. So I know the big talking point is the leg kicks of Jack Jenkins. And I and I think rightfully so. However, I don't think people even put, you know, 
context on how much of a big deal those leg kicks are. Jack Jenkins broke the tibia of three of his opponents. That's how hard his leg kicks are. And also, it's not just the leg kicks. I mean, you saw a contender series. This guy can offensively wrestle as well. You saw in his regional scene. He's been five rounds before. He's got sharp hands. But one thing I think that a lot of people don't talk about with Jack Jenkins is he's very defensively responsible. This is a guy that not too many people catch him clean. He, I mean, don't get me wrong. He's been hit his fair share of times, and he's got a very good chin. But to actually you know, catch this guy clean, drop him, rock him, it's few and far between, man. The guy is very def defensively aware. He's very smart. I love how he changes up his game plans, uh, fight by fight, of course. And a lot of people were you know, giving him shit about that Jamal Emmers fight. And I know a lot of people laid big chalk on Jamal Emmers and they feel like it was this big robbery. And, and I'm not one of those people. And I'll tell you why. Like, like, hear me out before, you know, you freak out. When you have a split decision type fight and one guy's plus 180, how can you not say he was the side, right? And when we actually looks, you know, and when we actually look at, you know, round by round, I thought the first two rounds could have gone either way. I thought the third round definitely went to Jamal Emmers, but I don't have an issue with, with Jack winning those first two rounds. Third, like I said, third round clear Jamal Emmers. And Jamal Emmers is a seasoned, experienced vet. Jamal Emmers was coming off a win against a 23 and 0 Russian. Like Jamal Emmers beat Corey Sanhagen. Jamal Emmers beat uh, Hernandez. Like Jamal Emmers is not a slouch. And when Jamal Emmers is on his game, I mean, he looks like a top 15 guy. It's just, you know, he's just kind of inconsistent is, is the issue with uh with, with Jamal Emmers. But um, Dixon asked me, Dan, honestly, do we think Jenkins kick kicks harder than Gaethje, who Chepe has trained with for years? I mean, that's neither here nor there. I mean, do you think that Gaethje was trying to put, you know, Chepe in the hospital in the training room? It's not like they were fighting. They were training. Don't get me wrong. I bet they train hard, but they also got shin guards on. And it's not a fight. It's a training session. So this is completely different. The shin guards come off in the fight. And the fact of the matter is I'm not here to compare who's got harder kicks or who doesn't. You know, one's a 45er, one's a 55er. But the fact of the matter is this man's broken three grown men's tibias before. So, you know, whether he kicks as hard or not as hard, that's neither here nor there. The fact of the matter is if you're not checking these kicks, if you're not getting the way of these kicks, the damage will add up. And that's just facts. So. That, that's my opinion on that. Um, and I do have to give Mariscal a lot of credit. This is a guy that's also paid his dues outside the UFC, has a lot of quality wins. And, I mean, quality wins against guys that are doing their thing in the UFC now. What about uh, Pat Sabatini, right? Uh, Yusuf Zalal at one point was a prospect in the UFC. But then he's also had his fair share of setbacks. That Joe anderson Brito knockout loss was devastating the steve garcia fight not as devastating as joe anderson brito but still we've seen that that chin can be a liability even losing to sean soriano um is kind of a red flag as well because usually the blue the blueprint's been laid out on, on how to beat sean soriano you let him put on his kickboxing clinic in that first round and then you take over afterwards so i was kind of surprised he wasn't able to do that and shout out to mariscal taking that trevor peak fight on a week short notice up away class, you know, he did his thing, but let, let, let's be honest, Trevor peak. I, I love me some Trevor peak, but Trevor peak is not a technician. Trevor peak 
is a brawler. He's an exciting guy that we enjoy watching that throws standing hammer fist and, and uh, Chepe Mariscal slaps dudes in there, which, which I, you love to see. They're brawlers, man. It's fun to watch. But I think that, um, that uh, Jack Jenkins, like I said, is, is just so much more technically sound, so much more defensively responsible. Like We can talk about the leg kicks all we want, but it's not just the leg kick. It's the fight IQ. It's the defense. It's the combinations. You can mix in takedowns as well. Um, so while I think that, look, there's things to watch out for Marisco, his experience. He's got a black belt in judo, and he's gone out there and landed many judo uh, judo throws or hip tosses in his fights, and he's been there. He's done that. He's taken the backs of tons of dudes. He's slept people before. I mean, the guy's done his thing, but I think that you know when you go after Jack Jenkins with kind of a brawling approach, that's going to leave the openings necessary for Jenkins to get off on his shots, whether it is the leg kicks we've been talking about, whether it's hooks, whether it's straight punches, whether it's, you know, fainting a takedown and then eventually getting it, whatever the case may be. I think the first round is going to be kind of close, but once Jack Jenkins makes his reads, that's where I see him taking over in the second and third round, potentially getting a knockout along the way, but if not getting a, a decision. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Jaime Malaki. He's 16 and 6, taking on John Magdesi, who is 18 and 8. Currently, they got it. Jaime Malaki minus 260. The comeback on John Magdesi is plus 220. So give me give me a sec. Um Oh, yeah, I said the odds already, right? 260 Malarkey plus 220 McDessie. Look, McDessie's a guy that I've counted out a lot. McDessie's a guy that I've disrespected um, on many occasions, and I've been burnt on some of those occasions, but I've also caught him at times. You know, I was wrong on the Ignacio Bahamondes fight, but I was right on the Francisco Trinaldo fight. You know, I was wrong on the Medi Baghdad fight back in 2016. But I was right on the Yancey Madero's fight back in 2015. So I've been hit or miss with John McDessie, but now he's getting up there in age. You know, he's 38 years old, and we're not talking about heavyweight either. We're talking about the lightweight division. He's already been one of the smaller lightweights, but he was like a guy that he said he was too big for featherweight, but too small for lightweight. So he, he was kind of in no man's land. Um you know, in, in his opinion, he's also had multiple broken jaws. He's consistently switching gyms. I think now he's at fight ready, which is a good look. But, you know, the, the guys that fight ready can't fight for you, you know, and fight ready does great things with great athletes. But for a guy that's on his way out, I'm not, you know, putting too much stock in it. The issue is, can you really uh, trust Jamie Malarkey at a price like this? Uh, now, granted, he's significantly younger taller got the reach advantage all that all, all those intangibles but he's been knocked out four times um and man y'all gotta pull up that knockout loss he had against volkanovsky back on the regional scene like god bless you volkanovsky for not throwing a follow-up punch because that shit was vicious but basically i mean I, I see a situation where jamie is just a little bit grittier kind of outworks him a bit and, and just puts it on him down the stretch um you know, you, you do have, like there are chin concerns on both sides, of course, but should this go three rounds? I mean, unless Jamie is like gun shy or something, then I think John has a chance. But if Jamie is fighting, you know, all gas, no breaks, which is what he's known for, then I think John, uh, I think Jamie Malarkey is going to get it done. Just not crazy at the price, obviously. 
Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Nazrat Hakparas. He's 14 and 5. Welcoming Landon Quinones, who's 7 1 and 1 to the UFC. Currently, they got it. Nazrat Hakparas minus 450. The comeback on Landon Quinones is plus 370. Uh, shout out Landon, um, because he actually beat someone I train with his last win. He beat uh Yemi Oduwali, who I train with every Thursday in no gi. And Yemi's a beast, man. Yemi is an African savage, man. And the fact that, like, when I watch that fight, though, and I don't want to discredit Landon, Landon's win because, like, you got to win over a legit dude. But when I watched that fight, I was like, like, what the fuck is Yemi doing? That's that's not that's not the Yemi I know. That's not the Yemi that I've seen walk people down, not just in the gym, but recently in um, that fight he had uh, in CES where he beat that, you know, that 6-0 and up-and-coming prospect via Peruvian necktie. You know, Yemi's the guy that's hit three Peruvian neckties throughout his career. He's fought some tough competition along the way. Um, so I don't I don't know exactly what happened in that Landon fight. I mean, you could say he got caught. He did get caught. But even like that first round, he got caught in the second round. But even that first round, it was just very low output on both sides. So I don't know. Uh, Yemi's a big boy. Maybe the weight cut to 55 was too much for him. Maybe the guy, you know, was partying with different chicks throughout the week. You know, he's very popular with the ladies. I don't know what the deal was, but I also don't want to take away from Landon because that is a legit win, and that is the best win he has on, on his resume. So, you know, credit to you. You beat my boy. Um, but here, and, and then people give him shit for the Jason Knight fight. Yeah, you know, it is embarrassing getting choked out in under a minute by Jason Knight in 2023. But let me ask you something. Is Nazrat Hackbrass going to triangle choke somebody? <laughs> I don't think so. So honestly, the Jason Knight fight is neither here nor there as far as I'm concerned. Um, so Nazrat, I think he's been improving, man. I think he's a guy that's fought some really tough competition. They threw him in there with the Wolves since day one. And he's had to sink or swim, man. And, and he's been swimming. You know, got wins over Mark Jacasey, Joachim, Neto, BJJ, Silva. You know, he's taking his setbacks against legit guys like Dober, like Hooker, like Bobby Green. Bounced back impressively against John McDessey. Got knockdowns. Got takedowns. So, you know, he's just a kid. He was born in 1995. So despite how much experience he has at this point, He's still making improvements because he's still a really young guy. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think he's a big favorite for a reason. We, we, the jury's just still out on Landon Quinones. We just don't really know what he brings to the table. Word on the street is he's a student of the game. He really studies his opponents up well. He's got a little pop in his punches. Um, you know, he just had a good experience on the Ultimate Fighter, despite the fight not going his way. You know, just just, be, just being surrounded by those people, I'm sure it was a good experience for him. So, you know, let's see what he does going forward. But I, I do think that the big favorite most likely comes through here, um, just by being a little bit more of a seasoned vet, just by you know making the smarter decisions in fight, being a little bit more active, and uh, I think that's what's going to get Nazareth the win here. Now, next up in the welterweight division we got mike diamond mike d from the beastie boys we got blood diamond he's three and two but i believe he's got an extensive kickboxing background taking on charlie chuck buffalo radke who's seven and three currently they got it charles radke minus 345 the comeback on mike blood diamond mathitha is plus 280 oh man this is an interesting fight because it's like, so when this fight got announced, right, 
and people were like, oh, yeah, Charles, Rat- the, the Chuck Buffalo got signed to the UFC, this, this hot prospect, this and that. I was like, hell, yeah, I can't wait to watch this guy's fights. I pull up the guy's fights, and I'm like, I don't know, man. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's a good athlete, but I think that <laughs> I think he's a little bit on the slower side. I think he's a little bit on the stiffer side. I've seen him get knocked out before. I've seen him get out grappled before. But granted, he does have more MMA experience than uh, than than Mike Diamond here, Mike D from the Beastie Boys. But it's just tough because it's like the way people were hyping up this Chuck Buffalo guy. I thought like, oh man, this might be like some big max bet. But then when I watched this tape, I was very very underwhelmed. And quite frankly, I really wish that they made a Blood Diamond versus that Kiefer Crosby guy we're going to talk about in a second, and they did uh, Charles Radke versus Kevin Jusse. I think that those are a bit w- more well-matched fights, but then again, Sean and Mick know what they're doing, so who am I to say any differently? But look, the thing with Blood Diamond is, I mean, we saw in that fight with Kose that the times that the fight was standing, I mean, he does have some chops on the feet. It was just a matter of, you know, when he gets taken down, he can't get back up. But that's something that can be fixed. We talk about it often. Like when you talk about what are things that guys can fix, what are guys that what are things that guys can't fix? Cody Garbrandt cannot fix his chin, right? But a guy that, you know, has some suspect grappling, I mean, go train with Volk for a couple months. You know, look what he did against Islam Makachev. And I'm not saying that Blood Diamond is going to level up that much, but what I am saying is that the holes in his game are fixable things. And he's been off for how long has he been off for now? Let's see. His last fight was in, okay, his last fight was in July of last year. So he's had over a year to to fix some, to, to patch up some holes, work with some really good guys where he's from. Because as you know, Australian and New Zealand MMA is on the up. It's no longer the days where, you know, someone would be like an Australian black belt and, (laughs) you know, you laugh it off. Those days are long gone. Now these guys are on the come up. I mean, look what Volk did against Islam Makachev, win or lose. Like the fact that Australian and New Zealand MMA has risen to that point where you can compete with the best Russians in the world. It's got to elevate, you know, what's the, the quote about rising tides and all that? Yeah, that applies here, right? So is blood diamond you know has he leveled up enough to beat this guy charlie radke who i don't think is anything special at all you know people were touting him as this big knockout artist and like bro listen to me he's only got three knockouts on his record they were great knockouts don't get me wrong but it was something that started kind of happening more towards the latter part of, of his career and that's not really what he's known for um i think his grappling chops offensively should be the difference here um it's just and and i am gonna pick chuck buffalo you know because until i see those improvements from blood diamond i'm I'm not gonna you know i know that look we're still assuming because we're making picks right so we're still making assumptions but i'm not gonna make the assumption of where blood diamonds improvement level is grappling wise until i see it right so until i see it i'm gonna have to pick against them in all ufc fights going forward but hopefully this is the fight where you can prove me wrong. Hey, you've taken over a year off. You've been training with the right guys. You have an opponent who's nothing special. Maybe this is the time where you can either stuff takedowns or get back up from bottom and light this man up on the feet. Not writing off that possibility. But again, 
until I see it, I have to pick against it. But no way in hell I'm laying that minus three something on, on this Charlie guy. I think people were over hyping the fuck out of him when I like like when people were like, oh, Chuck Buffalo got signed, like, you know, acting like this guy was about to be some top 15 uh, welterweight. Like, yeah, give me a fucking break. And no disrespect to the guy. It's just, you know, we're out here scouting prospects, aren't we? So we got to be brutally honest. Um, I don't think he's that guy that people uh, were describing him as, but I'm still going to pick him because he's, he's got more MMA experience, but it would not surprise me if Blood Diamond leveled up just a little bit. I mean, he's only got five pro MMA fights. He's got to be making leaps. So hopefully for his sake, I'll be rooting for him, just picking against him. And hopefully I get this one wrong and, and uh, Mike Diamond can uh, rise to the occasion and we'll play some Beastie Boys in the background. So I already broke down the Shane Young and Gabrielle fight with uh, – with, um, Damian beat down Brown. Make sure y'all go back and and listen to that. So last but not least, in the welterweight division, in the welterweight division, we got Kevin Jusse. He's eight and two, taking on Kiefer Crosby, who's ten and three. And currently, they got it. Kevin Jusse minus one fifty five. The comeback on Kiefer Crosby is plus one thirty five. So Kevin Jusse, he's a French guy who moved to Australia. He's been training at City Kickboxing, and Kevin Jusse, he's got a judo background, and from time to time. He's going to surprise you with not just big judo throws, but he's got some very sneaky trips. He's a physical guy for the welterweight division. Um, his striking's been getting better, but he, but he's you know similar to the Radke guy. It's a little bit more on the stiff and the rigid side, and it's kind of very low volume. But he is a big physical guy, and I would not be surprised to see him hit some big throws or some big trips here. Like this dude fought Jack Della. And man, he took uh, Jack Della for a ride with um, uh, he took Jack Della for a ride with a big judo throw in that fight. Eventually, he, he ends up getting stopped and he got dropped. He got hurt badly. I mean, Jack Della is a fucking force. Um, but you know, he he threw Jack Della at one point in that fight. And Kiefer Crosby trains out of SBG Ireland, you know, with Connor and all them. And the way I would describe Kiefer Crosby is I kind of view him as a poor man's Mike Perry, right? Um, he's built like Mike Perry. He throws some vicious hands. He's actually taken, hasn't he taken a couple pro boxing fights? I know um, one was like an exhibition against some celebrity, so that doesn't count. But the guy's got heavy hands, especially in the early going. I just think that Kiefer is like, a great hammer, but not the best nail. And I've seen fights where he's been beating the shit out of dudes. And then like those dudes will come back and finish him. Right. Um, so it's like, not that Kiefer is lacking in any area in terms of skills. It's just more so that he's a bit of a front runner, a bit of a hammer, but not a nail. Right. So if Kevin Jusek can just get me to you know, three minutes into this fight, four minutes in this fight and not be badly compromised, you know, hasn't suffered a big knockdown or anything like that. I definitely think he can take over. I'm just curious about his approach because on the feet, while he's definitely been getting better, he's got hard kicks, he's got hard punches. The volume, like I said, is on the lower side. The kid is rigid. He's stiff on the feet. He's not a natural in the striking, but where he is a natural is with the judo, with the trips. When he's on top, he's heavy. Um, I mean, Grant, do, guys do get back up sometimes, but Jusse, um is good at, you know, he's not going to just give up, right? If you get back up, he's going to go right back to the well, which you love to see. So I think that Jusse can really pull away down the stretch. It's just what you got to be worried about with Kiefer Crosby is that 
he really does throw fucking heat in that early going. Like I said, he's a poor man's Mike Perry. Mike Perry can go all three hard, and Mike Perry's got a lot more heart than this kid, but this kid is dangerous, so I, I give him credit. And the reason I wanted to see Kiefer versus Blood Diamond is because I thought that that was more of an evenly matched fight, and I thought Kevin Jusay versus Charlie Radke was a more evenly matched fight. But again, Sean and Mick know more than me, so they probably – Saw certain things that I'm not seeing, so I'll give them all the credit they deserve. But I'm going to go Kevin Jusay in this fight. Just, you know, don't get fucking starched in the first couple of minutes because Kiefer is going to be throwing heat. Make no mistake about it. All right. Let's talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. And then after that, I'm down to answer any fan questions you'll have for me. So if you do have questions, go ahead and, and submit them now. Also, do me a favor. Hit the like button for me. If you're not subscribed, please subscribe. And then when this is over, leave me a comment as well. I really appreciate it. So the fight to watch for UFC 293. I mean, I think we got to go with Jack Jenkins or Shepe Mariscal. Remind me last time Shepe Mariscal was in a boring fight. You can't. The guy goes for it. He goes balls to the wall. And Jack Jenkins, like we said, he's more of a technician. So you got the guy who's more technically sound versus the guy who was willing to bite down on that mouthpiece say fuck it and go for it he's got nothing to lose here and jack jenkins wants to establish that hey i am a prospect that could potentially crack the rankings one day so high stakes on the line in the featherweight division in terms of the trajectories for both these gentlemen so for that reason and not to mention it's going to be a hell of a fight jack jenkins versus jose chepe mariscal is my fight to watch my fighter watches manel cap um i mean not only because i have a bet on him but because this is the, in my opinion, he's ranked like number seven or number eight in the world. But I think this guy's a top five guy right now. I think that this guy could fight for a title in one or two fights. I mean, his debut was against Pantoja. And again, it wasn't about, oh, Pantoja was just levels above. It, it was like such fisk, uh, fixable mistakes on Manel's part, like just a little bit more activity. And, and you're right up there, man. Um, and even the Nicolau fight, I personally thought he won the fight, but I understand, you know, the same kind of thing bit him in the ass, but man, these last few fights, he's just been looking like, dude, like I'm not going to let that ever happen again. And his hand speeds on a different level His discipline in there. You know, he's a black belt in jujitsu. Now you saw that disgusting Kimura sweep. He hit on David Dvorak. I'm shocked Dvorak didn't tap to that. Dvorak is tougher than a $2 steak. Uh, well done, <laughs> you know, to not tap to that shit. Like, God damn, man. So, and the thing about this matchup is Felipe ain't going to run away from Manel Cap like David Dvorak did. Felipe is a shoot the box guy. He's going to get right in his face. And it's going to be kill or be killed. So I, I love everything about it. So Manel Cap's got an opportunity to get a highlight reel finish here. And that's going to, you know, get him another big fight because all these guys have been pulling out. Alex Perez pulls out on fight day. Kai Kara France pulls out a couple weeks in advance. There was another guy. Oh, Davison Dice Dugea Figueredo didn't get cleared. Like, so they've been trying to match him up with the top of the division, but, you know, for whatever reason, the guys haven't been showing up. Well, this kid, Felipe Dos Santos, Big ball, brass balls. Watch the movie Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Brass balls on this kid, Felipe Dos Santos. You love to see it, but uh, you know, man, um, I think the openings are going to be there from Manel Cap, and he has to make a statement. But I don't think he can coast in this fight because of how Felipe fights. Felipe gets right in your face. I don't think there's a chance for uh, you know for any kind of coast. I think that he's going to force Manel to fight, and when Manel lets his hands go. God damn, is he accurate? God damn, is he powerful? And God damn, 
is he sharp everything all all the verbs adjectives etc cetera, etc cetera, I, I can describe so that's all i gotta say about that he's my fight he's my fighter to watch all right now i'm down to answer y'all's questions so i'm gonna scroll up to the top of this chat and see what y'all have to say <sighs> my boy pepe sylvia front runner for handicapper of the year in 2023 what up king glad i can catch this one live from the office good luck this weekend why are you still in the office, man? You're uh, you're about to be paying the bills, doing this shit full time, man. But I get it. Hey, multiple streams of income all day, my boy. So much respect. Got Moyes in the chat. What's up, Moyes? My boy addicted to combat. What's up? Um, I don't know how to pronounce your name, but he said the Aussie and UK accents got to be the best accents out there. Some of them for sure. 420 MMA picks at three words, max bet season. It's coming back soon. I'll tell you that right now. Um, let's see what else we got. Dixon Cider in here. What's up? What's up? Shady Beach Bum. Chop that beanstalk, you know, referring to Tuivasa. Jarrell said, great way to look at Cape's, uh, Manel Cap's experience. I agree. Um, fight supervisor, Damian Brown. Loved watching his fights when he was in the UFC. Is he retired now? I'm pretty sure he's retired now. Um, we fought in the UFC, then he went to Risen, he beat Darren Crookshank there, and then his last fight was against that Tofik guy who's an absolute monster. And I think now uh Damien's running his own fight promotion, he's got his gym, you know, he's doing his thing. So you just love to see it. And great guy, too, right? Um the 90s says Tyson Pedro peaked too early in 2017. Possibly, possibly. Um, type two said, I just can't see Volkov making it through the fire tie will bring plus 215 and rising. Let's take the loans out and kill the books. I mean, proceed with caution, all right? But, uh, you know, but also trust your, your, uh, trust your read. No, Rashi says, I'm a timestamp weirdo. I'm sorry to hear that, my guy. Hot Pepper Boy said, fuck the timestamps. Watch the legend drop the knowledge. Thank you. I appreciate that. MMA Propaholic. Let's go, Dan. Let's go, MMA Propaholic. He'll be joining me soon on uh, the Fiziev Gamrot show. So I'm excited about that. Shady, I agree. Fuck him. Make him watch the whole show. Ghost Gardener is officially done with Pedro. I don't blame you. He's burnt a lot. He's cost a lot of people a lot of money. So, you know, I get where you're coming from. Uh, Ghost Gardner says, which Jung shows up? I just think it's based on the matchup. I mean, Devin Clark just pinned him up against the fence for three rounds. That's not how Carlos Olberg fights. So, um, yeah, it just depends on the matchup. Um, Lou Betcha, what up, Dan and chat? What up, Lou Betcha? Um, EQ thinks Blood Diamond is a good bet. Possibly. I mean, hopefully he's made improvements. It's been over a year since we've seen him last, so that's been nice. I mean, hopefully that's been nice for him, right? Shady Beach Bum said, pick your spots on this juicy card. Always pick your spots, no matter the card. Um, Dixon Sider says, hey, I'm telling you, Dan, next time we see Chepe, he's going to be a favorite. Get the dog money while you can. All right, all right. I mean, listen, you got to trust your read, my boy. You know, at the end of the day, who cares what anyone else is saying? We're, you know, trust your gut. Crispy said, can we get a Shaq update? There is no update. The only update is that Shaq left the show for the Tiago Maheta Santos uh, versus Ankalaev episode. He literally came on the show here with me, said that he was leaving the show. 
Um, so I don't understand what update there is. Like he quit the show. <laughs> like that's it. It's over. You know, um, I'm grateful for his time on the show. He did a great job while he was here, but the show must go on. The show has been going on. I think that the show's, I think that the show has been elevating to be honest with you. Look at the amazing guests we've had on the past few months. Um, and, uh, yeah, the show was happening before Shaq. We're appreciative of the time Shaq was on the show and the show's happening after Shaq, man. Um, so listen, if you guys want him to be your co-host, he's a free agent, hit him up and you know, maybe, maybe you can find yourself a new co-host. But as far as I heard, he retired from podcasting. So I wish him nothing but the best. Um, Shady says, do you think Maga Strickland wrestles? Um, I mean, we talked about that earlier. I mean, what do you mean? Do I think he wrestles like that's such a broad question. There's five rounds. Do I think that he shoots a takedown? Do I think he shoots two takedowns? Do I think that he for 25 straight minutes, he humps someone's leg? Like that's a very broad question. Maybe a takedown or two, but that's not how Sean fights. <laughs> Sean walks dudes down, throws a bunch of jabs and, you know, looks to, you know, have a dick measuring contest. That's how he fights. Um, EQ says we got to put down the theory that the UFC is always trying to have the hometown fighter win. Look, let's let's say for argument's sake that they are trying to have someone win. The UFC can't fight for these guys. At the end of the day, they can they do all the bells and whistles, but the fighters still got to get in there and fight. So that's, I mean that's that's all that's all there is to it, you know. Um, hot pepper boy says, you think the UFC bring back Eddie Alvarez shout out to the, the underground King, Eddie Alvarez, much love, much respect to him, but probably not. How old is Eddie Alvarez? Um, let's see. Eddie Alvarez is 39 years old. <laughs> so I'd assume not, it would have to be like a one-off legends type fight. I, I highly doubt it, but all respect to the underground King, true legend of the sport. Love that guy. And EQ proving it wrong. KGB was robbed in her own hometown. Not only that, when she fought in Texas and she was the one with the cowboy hat, a lot of people thought that she got robbed against Macy. When I rewatched it, Macy actually landed the more damage. But at the time, I thought that maybe Andrea Lee won that fight. But fuck Andrea Lee and, you know, that Nazi lover. <laughs> you know, she, she rebounds from dating this Nazi who's got a swastika tattoo that killed an unarmed black man. Now she's now she's dating Tony Kelly, you know. <laughs> it's like I just I, that's that ass whooping Natalia Silva put on her was so satisfying to watch. My God, and I love me some Natalia Silva, like just her energy, the way she fights, her violence, her killer instinct. I love everything about Natalia Silva, and I can't wait to see her climb up the ranks. Um, boys, audio said propaholics the real deal. Yeah, he's gonna like I said, he's gonna be on half the battle for Fiziev and Gamrot making his debut, and I'm excited to talk with him. Um, my boy Nick said, another good show. Keep up the great work. I appreciate that. I'll do my best. Thank you for supporting me. Um, Nick also said 71 watching, but only 39 likes. Yeah, what's up with that? <laughs> Y'all some fucking haters, man. I'll drop my technique of the week video. It gets like 10,000 views, but only 50 people like it. Shout out to the 50 of y'all that give me a like. But man, some real fucking haters out there, man. But it is what it is. Um, and then 90 says, you date a Nazi, then it's very likely you are a Nazi. She is a Nazi. Well, the difference is that 
you know, her husband had a fucking swastika tattoo, actually murdered a guy before. Um, but I'd consider um, Andrew Lee more so to be a Nazi sympathizer than a Nazi. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not fucking downplaying it. I'm not acting like she's innocent. I'm not acting like she's some good person. Um, it's just, wow. She, she's probably the lesser of two evils. At least she hasn't murdered someone right? <laughs> you know, that I know of, right? Um, but I just think she's an idiot. That's all. Um, but yeah, much love to all y'all last call for questions. If not, I'm going to get out of here. Um, so I'm gonna plug a couple things. And then while I do plug those couple things again, last call for questions. So give them to me now. Um, so I just want to plug my love for you guys. <laughs> Thank you all so much. Everybody that supported me, whether it's from day one in 2015, whether it's somewhere along the way or whether you're new to half the battle. Thank you so much. Truly appreciate it. Listen, I'm not perfect, but um, I do have good intentions at the end of the day. So that that's, that's what counts, and I try my best, and uh, I just want to spread positivity. So thank you, guys. Um, and I know that sometimes on Twitter I'll say some, some outlandish shit, and sometimes it's just for laughs, but at the end of the day, you know, while I do like to push buttons and, be controversial and be funny or whatever, sarcastic, whatever. Um, I do have good intentions at the end of the day. So yeah. Um, just had to say that. Uh, and then, you know, always smash that like for me. Cause apparently that helps the algorithm. Leave me a comment when this is done. If you're not subscribed, please subscribe. If you feel so inclined, share. And I appreciate that. Um, all right, let me see what else y'all got for me. So Dominic says, I like you, Dan. I like you too, Dominic. Dixon says, Dan, Logan Paul's girlfriend just filed a lawsuit and restraining order with Dylan and wants him arrested. So the fight is now in jeopardy. Do you think it will actually happen? Do I think the, you know, him getting arrested will actually happen? Probably not. Do I think the fight will actually happen? Uh, probably not, you know, because Dylan pulls out of every fight. But I have found his promotion of this fight to be very entertaining. And again, you know, I don't have an issue with people having sex. I mean, who doesn't love sex right but like i was like damn like how many fucking guys has it been it was like jesus like that body counts like gotta be in the thousands i hope that uh you know i hope uh logan made her take a std test you know beforehand man but you know it's none of my business but um i'll just say the shit that logan's been posting is a lot fun i mean the shit that dylan's been posting lately is a lot funnier than it has been in the past so i actually think he's been winning the build up to this fight it's just will he actually show up to the the fight that's the that's the big question dixon said am i the creator of uh, trt barney i'm definitely the guy that brought him to prominence and now everyone's stealing him like they tend to do with a lot of my catchphrases and lines that i've been saying on half the battle for years but as they say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery so it's all good uh so we'll see if dylan dana shows up to the fight hopefully he does because he's won the the lead up right so let's see all right y'all Thank you, thank you, thank you very much for all your support again. Um, you know, all the stuff I said, liking the show, subscribing, leaving me a comment when this is done, sharing if you feel so inclined. And I'm also down to interact with anybody that has my back. My DMs are open. I know that Twitter changed a couple things up where maybe it's kind of hard to, maybe it doesn't let you DM people like they once did. Cause like I don't receive notifications unless I follow you. It's this weird thing. So if you think I've been ignoring you, I haven't. Unless you're like really fucking annoying and you've been saying like some outlandish and disrespectful shit, then maybe I've been ignoring you. But if you've been trying to just reach me 
you know, with a with a even you know with a I don't know what the right word is here, just in in a positive manner. And I haven't gotten back to you. I'm not ignoring you. Um, Twitter has some weird thing now with the new Elon Musk things where you can only f- message certain people or whatever. But but yeah, I don't get notifications unless I follow you. That's that's the weird thing about it. But I'm always down to interact with people that support me and have my back. Always, always. Because you guys are the reason that the show has grown. And while I think that the show still has a lot of room for improvement and can reach even new new and bigger and better heights down the line we've still come a long way from where we started right uh so and that's thanks to y'all man so thank you guys very much really appreciate it best of luck this weekend and until the next time let's cash these bets <laughs>